0: Good morning and welcome to New Every Morning, which this morning comes from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. My name is David Robertson, and I'm the minister here. Our purpose is to worship Jesus and to challenge, encourage, and stimulate to thought, word, and action. We begin with a song of praise. Let us worship God. Praise
1: God, my soul.
0: Lord, we come to worship you this morning. We bless you that you are the God that we can worship with all our heart, that we can exalt your holy name, and that we do not forget all your benefits. We pray that you would be with each one of us and help us as we reflect upon your word. We ask, O Lord, that as we come to you, each one of us with particular needs, that you would help us so that we would know your healing in our life, that we would know your forgiveness. We confess our sin before you. We know, O Lord, that we cannot stand before you, a holy and righteous God, but we bless you that you are merciful and kind, to anger slow and full of grace. We bless you, O Lord, that you invite us into your presence through Jesus Christ, and we come in his name and ask that you would draw near. Remember those who are feeling distressed, those who are ill, those who are seeking you, and may each of us know your spirit at work in our hearts and in our lives as we worship. In your name we ask it. Amen.
2: Ecclesiastes chapter 2 I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the King's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, This too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one that comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless.
0: wonder what you're expecting to hear this morning a minister desperately trying not to sermonize in that case you will be really disappointed i love teaching the bible and here's the surprise lots of people are finding that bible teaching is really scratching where it itches according to a study by the university of durham the majority of churchgoers look forward to the sermon apparently this has surprised church leaders which doesn't really surprise me As a church leader, I recognize that we so often get it wrong and that we so often prefer to follow the fickle and changing fashions of society rather than lead by teaching the Word of God. A lot of people have real difficulty in connecting what they perceive to be the Bible with what they perceive to be reality. Religion is seen either as something ethereal or otherworldly. But that's so unlike the teaching we get from the Bible. For example, this morning, the passage we look at tells us about laughter, pleasure, architecture, gardening, money, rest, stress, wine, women, and song. The basic situation in Ecclesiastes is that the author King Solomon is trying to work out what is the point of life. In order to do this, he conducted an experiment, one that a lot of people try. He decided he would test himself with pleasure, and he certainly had the means to do so. He wanted to see whether it would satisfy him. There then follows an account of what he tried, which left him with a series of questions rather than answers. The first of these questions in the passage that we read, verses 1 to 11, is simply, what is the point of pleasure? He tried, for example, having a laugh. Laughter equals superficial fun in this passage. Proverbs 14, verse 13 says, even in laughter the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. Laughter will often hide sorrow, pain, and grief. It's good to have a laugh. It's good to laugh, but it's not enough. Then, as many of us do, he tried alcohol, wine. The idea here is more of a connoisseur than a drunkard. This is not your alco-pop ned, more your suburban tippler. And again, that was not enough. So he went to work. He built great projects, cities, public buildings, This building was not for the public good, but for his own pleasure. This also included gardens. Luxurious gardens were characteristic of royalty and nobility in the ancient Near East. They featured choice plants, might contain a summer house and be walled to ensure privacy. There were great public parks as well, whole sense of grandeur and beauty in here. And he looked at what he had created and made, and again, it was not enough. Then he went for money. The God of our age, First 1 Kings 10.21 records that all King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. And again, with all his wealth, materialism was not enough. As Doug Copeland states, all you're doing with your life is collecting objects and nothing else. So now he goes for women. The term that's used in the passage is a disputed term. It could mean cupbearer, but is more likely to mean mistress, lover, concubine. It could also be quite a crude term which refers to women solely as sexual objects. And like so many do, treating other human beings as objects for sexual gratification was not enough for Solomon either. So he's tried wine and women. He might as well go for the third song, He speaks about a mixed choir, which was pretty good and very entertaining. Music has always been important in human culture and will continue to be. But again, it's not enough. So his conclusion. He remains objective. He's like the German poet Goethe, who analyzed his voluptuousness and studied his own faculties of enjoyment. There was a certain sense of satisfaction and pleasure. His heart took great delight there was a sense of achievement but nothing more he woke up in the morning and he had to tell it like it is he did enjoy his work he enjoyed his pleasure but in the cold light of day he recognizes that it's all pretty useless there's great disappointment meaningless no good pointless why was it pointless if you look at verses 4 to 8 you'll find that the refrain for myself is used 6 times so the bottom line Here is that pleasure-seeking does not satisfy the spiritual thirst of the secular person, and therefore it is all pointless. Wine, women, song, architecture, and gardening without Christ are pointless. So he now turns to his second question, and he asks, What's the point of thinking? Which is better, wisdom or pleasure? Wisdom is the supreme need of the king because he has to govern. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. So he finds out that wisdom is better than folly. That wisdom is needed to give strength and success. That wise people walk around with their head clear and they get on. That stupid people live dumbed-down lives in a dumbed-down culture. But then comes the surprise statement of verse 15. Both cannot avoid death. So what is the point of wisdom? What Solomon is really saying here is that if he could not find meaning with all his knowledge and all his wisdom then what chance do the rest of us have? So he goes back to the subject of work. And there comes his third question. What's the point of work? What about life under the sun? Since it all ends in death, there doesn't appear to be much point to it. Death not only destroys wisdom, but casts its shadow over much of life. So he hates life. He's saying that everyone's life is hateful under the sun, and he hates toil. Toil, in this case, being basically the daily grind, our daily responsibilities, that Monday morning feeling. But even worse than that, the person coming after us may ruin all the good work we have done. So it's little wonder that his heart began to despair. Despite wisdom, knowledge, and skill, there's no escaping death, and there's no guaranteeing what comes after. What does all this work and toil achieve? All hope of a worthwhile life has gone. Wisdom and pleasure have failed. Human endeavor cannot be remembered, retained, or passed on. It's not just useless, it's unfair and unjust. Nothing except pain and sleepless nights caused by the frustration of knowing that it's all pointless. You work hard, physical labor, mental exertion, and then at night when you're supposed to be recharging your batteries, you're so stressed you can't sleep there's no escape from the daily grind. Let me quote those great Swedish philosophers, Abba, I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay, but still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. In my dreams, I have a plan if I got me a wealthy man. Again, Doug Copeland, as the expression goes, we spend our youth attaining wealth and our wealth attaining youth. So it sounds pretty depressing how can we be satisfied we can't at least not under the sun not if there is no god not if this life is all there is the world is not enough but what if there is more jesus said i have come that they may have life and have it to the full what difference does jesus make well let's go briefly over these issues again but this time from a different perspective the perspective of someone who has Christ in their life. In terms of the pleasures, remember that it's God who is the giver of all things good, not the devil. The devil distorts pleasure, God creates it. The Bible says that it is at God's right hand there are pleasures evermore. Laughter. The Bible is not saying there's no place for laughter, laughter is a medicine. What we are concerned about is the timing and the object of the laughter. Would that God's people were a laughing people, but not at the expense of belittling others. As regards wine, let's not forget that Jesus turned water into wine. We celebrate communion with wine, not tomato juice. The psalmist praises the Lord for the wine that gladdens the heart of man. Which is why I can give thanks for an excellent malt. It's a gift of God. Of course, the Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not drunk with wine. And what about the great projects such as buildings and gardens? This just reflects our creative and artistic skill. We reflect the maker. The difference is for the Christian is that when we are creating, we're not just doing it for ourselves, but we are reflecting the creativity of our God. As regards money, the Bible's not opposed to wealth creation, providing we remember that it is to be shared. We cannot serve both mammon and God. We are to use worldly wealth to gain eternal reward and to work hard to provide for those in need, not for our own greed. And the Bible says a lot about relationships and sex. I've just been preaching through the great love poem in the Bible, the Song of Solomon. The Bible's view is not a repressed view of sex, but a liberating one. Sex is sacred, not cheap and dirty. It's so special that it's only to be celebrated with your marriage partner. We're told to rejoice with the wife of your youth. This is not treating women or men as objects, but men and women together as partners, rejoicing in one another and in God. Musically, we are to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We use the gift of music to celebrate the goodness of God and the glory and beauty of his world. We don't have time but we could also reflect on how Christ gives the weary rest and makes our work meaningful. But you kind of get the point. Without Christ, everything you do this week, although it may bring temporary pleasure and satisfaction, will ultimately leave you dissatisfied, like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. With Christ, even the most mundane, the most boring, and seemingly meaningless task can be transformed into something beautiful. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for its realism. We ask that you would help us to understand and to apply it. We know, O Lord, that some of us are weary and tired. Some of us feel the pointlessness and the meaninglessness of life. Help us to see that our our life does and can have meaning. We pray, O Lord, that all the good gifts that you have granted to us that we would richly enjoy them through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to know who Jesus is, that you would help us to follow his word, that you would help us to live for him and in accordance with what he wants. And we ask that your blessing would be upon each person who hears and who responds to your word. For we ask it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen stay Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.